starting a message series. Is everybody happy? Yeah. Cool. If you're visiting with us for the first time, especially warm welcome to you. It's great to have you. Um, and uh, uh, if, if any of you haven't noticed yet, the Lord is doing something fresh in, in our church. There is a drawing of, by the Spirit of God into the courts of the Lord. There is an invitation to intimacy. And sometimes that can feel, if you're not accustomed to that, it can feel a little weird, like we're going on too long in this intimacy thing. I thought, church, we could just sing a song or two and then let's get down to it. But I'm, I'm just here to tell you, I feel like the Lord is wooing and calling and inviting the church into a place of a much greater intimacy. And uh, I want to invite you to come along with us. Give yourself in worship to the Lord. Focus on Him. Let Him captivate your heart. Paul said this, Brothers loved by God, we know that He chose you. And the reason we know that He chose you was that our gospel came to you, not just with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep convictions. This is how we know God chose you. He said, it's not that when we preach to you, you listened. It's that when we preach to you, there was power. And the Holy Spirit came. And you had deep convictions. Something the Lord's going to be doing in the next few months is, is pouring out deep convictions. And when, when the God begins to do this, because we've been in churches a few times when this has started to happen, the Lord begins to just woo the church and draw us in. And our hearts begin to churn and yearn for God. And there becomes deep convictions. Don't try and stop those. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit is bringing. And so um, it's a very exciting season in the church. Keep coming. Yeah. It's going to get really fun in the next few months in this little church. Praise God. Sermon series is called Better Together. We're better together. Something that's been going on in our nation, which, which I became aware of through our work with World Without Orphans from Susan Hillis, she spoke about <clears throat> what the CDC are finding out is what is called deaths of despair uh, in and around the US. <clears throat> and in a, an article by a guy called David Intracasso in uh, December 29, 2021, he spoke about this idea that over 100,000 drug overdose deaths during a 12-month period, which ended in April of 2021, was a 28.5% increase over the previous year. That something is, is massively, if you look at the, all the graphs, and, and there are a number of graphs by different uh, race groups and age groups, and the, the graphs are like this exponential curve in the last uh, couple of years, um, and it's, no doubt it's the end of the COVID reality and the isolation that people have felt and whether that's isolation physically or behind masks or whatever it is, people have been separated from one another and it's marked. You can see a very distinct increase in deaths of despair. That's what their new name is. The term death, death of dis, deaths of despair comes from Princeton economists Anne Case and Angus Deaton who uh, set out to understand what was the what was accounting for the falling U.S. life expectancies. And they learned that the fastest rising death rates among Americans were from drug overdoses, suicides, and alcoholic liver diseases. Deaths from these have increased between 56 and 387%, depending on which age group you're reading, and that's over the past two decades. There's about 70,000 deaths a year that come just from that, and that's increasing. Particularly middle-aged white people 
report more pain than respondents in 30 other wealthy countries. Can I just stop you there? Of the 30 wealthiest countries in the world, America rates last. We have, we have something of a problem. Go, well, well everybody's had, had the pandemic. Yeah, but of the 30 wealthiest nations, we're lost. We're not doing well. We're having an isolation problem. We're having people pulling away. We're having people saying, yeah, I don't need, I, I'm just gonna sit back here, just leave me alone, I've found a comfort zone. And in the middle of that, I'm gonna find my own comfort zone. I'm not gonna put myself out there. I'm not gonna connect with other people. I, I, you know, that was really stressful for me. I'm just gonna sit back here and I'm gonna order in. In the middle of that, we're facing the worst exponential problem that we've ever seen. People are not handling it well, despite the sense of comfort they feel. Am I talking to anybody yet? Yes. And we have to find a way as the church to not just uh, speak a message to the world, but to find our own equilibrium in this. We have to learn to model something and to live something so that we can preach something. We're supposed to be those who shine like stars as we hold out the word of life. That's what the Bible says. In the midst of a present generation that is being corrupted, we're supposed to be the ones who go, yeah, I get, I understand the pressure, but here's the life. Here's the light. Here's the truth. This will work for you. And so it's kind of been this thing in my heart where we, we began to talk about this sermon series about we're going to be better together. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know exactly everywhere we're going to be going, but I do know this one thing, that we will be better if we stick together. Yes. And that's the way the church has been designed. The church is not designed to function as a group of individuals. It's designed to function as one organism. Right? So the, the propensity, the, 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 what Paul would call the God of this age, is whispering, hey, 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 separate, back off, pull out. You know, people are weird, and people have disease, and people have funny ideas, and people have strange politics, and the best thing for you is to just pull back a little from everybody. But that's exactly, to get, to get the church siloed in their own individual little basements is the dream of the enemy. To get the church out and loving one another is the dream of the Holy Spirit. Right? Which voice are you listening to most? I'm not making this up. D these deaths of despair are happening in our nation because we're not handling this thing well. So I want to come back. I want to draw our attention back to the Scripture, if I may, this morning, <laughs> which is our habit. Let's go back and see what the Scripture says in the New Covenant. How are New Testament believers supposed to be living? So I just want to focus on that. And there are a whole bunch of things that the Bible says one another. Alelon is the Greek word. It means together, for one another, on behalf of one another. And I've, there, there are at least 100 times in the New Testament that that word is used in about almost 70 times, 69, it's used specifically when, when Paul and other people are talking about how you're supposed to connect with other people. So I want to talk about that sense of connection that the Scriptures speak to again and again and again and again. First category or group is the one another's for disciples is 
to love one another. Now, out of all the, the 69 times this appears in the New Testament, love one another is the most prolific statement. And I'm going to just show you a whole bunch of, I'm just going to show you a few, but there's two screens worth of this. Love one another, and John, and Romans, and Peter, and Thessalonians, and First Peter, and 1 John, and Galatians, and Romans, and <clears throat> serve one another in love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Make your love increase and overflow for one another. Jesus said, by this, by this, you love one another. By this measurement, people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. There's no metric of measurement of the church that we could use to supersede what Jesus said. And there's no other place that we can excel at that will make up for our lack in this one specific area. Jesus said, love one another. This is how people are going to know that you are my disciples. There are a lot of people who follow Jesus, maybe because of the miracles or maybe because of the comfort he can give them or because it's expedient for their business or because they have a sense of peace if they do or they have a sense of security for eternity. But Jesus said, if somebody is my disciple, they brought themselves under the discipline, they're walking in the way that I've called them to walk. If they're my disciples, this, this measurement is how you're going to know they're my disciples, if they love one another. <laughs> in Christianity in the second century, uh, Christianity had spread throughout the Roman Empire and it had broken into Rome and Carthage and Egypt and Christianity was just taking over, was consuming, eating up all the other religions and that caused a lot of smoke and heat almost everywhere in every big city and people hated the Christians because the, you know, obviously other religions were losing people to them and the, some people who were building up idols' temples and doing banking for idols' temples didn't like the Christians so they started to spread rumors about Christianity and they were fighting against it and telling lies and so you had a lot of people having to write apologetic letters like in, in doing apologies and speaking up for Christianity to the Roman authorities. And one of those is a kind of a fav, famous early church father was Tertullian. And uh, Tertullian uh, just spoke about this. He, he lived in Carthage and he, um, he said, uh, obviously because Christians weren't following the pagan extremes and uh, he wrote an explanation on the practices and the critique of the Christian faith. And his chief argument to the Roman authorities was that he drew the attention of the authorities to how the believers loved one another. It's exactly in line with what Jesus said would be the measurement. Tertullian led with that. Not, hey, let me show you this theology. Let me show you this. He said, hey, 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 Caesar. Yeah, yeah, look at, look at them. These are people under persecution. These are people who are being killed for their faith sometimes. These are people who are suffering loss. Look at how they love one another. I rest my case. Can you see one of us being able to speak to our government and our detractors through this pandemic crisis and the political crisis and the economic crisis and say, hey, 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 hey. let me show you where the real Christians are. See how they love one another. Those are the real Christians. 
but I, I, th I thought if we just get our theology accurate, no. If I vote for the right party, no. If, I, if I'm pro or anti-vaccine or pro or anti-mask wearing, no. If, if I go to the right ch ch church, no. What's the measurement? My disciples, Jesus said. My disciples, people who are responding, living like I want, they love people. They love one another. That's the measurement. I'm so tired of people giving other measurements for, for validation of this is the way. No, love is the way. But Greg, isn't good theology right? Yeah. Isn't, isn't the right political party? Yeah. Important stuff. Not as important. Not anywhere near as important as loving people who name the name of Jesus. By this, this, this is how you're going to know, Jesus said. You want to measure fruit. Jesus said, don't measure it by its manifestation. Measure it by its fruit. And let me tell you with the fruit. Jesus said, when you look around, look around anywhere, and you see my people loving each other. Those are my disciples right there. Backbiting, criticizing, rebuking, just cutting off, pulling back sectarianism. That's not my disciples. Can I just say this out loud? Some of you are looking like, I'm, like I've said the unforgivable sin. To his day and in his crisis and to the skewed perceptions about Christianity, Tertullian's answer was to point out how the disciples loved one another. This is what he said. It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See how they love one another, they say. For they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. How they are ready even to die for one another, they say. For they themselves would sooner put to death. It wasn't even Tertullian saying this. He was saying what the unbelievers were saying about the believers. He says, they say, look at how they love one another. So people say, you know, we have, a, we have a responsibility to speak to our government. Yes, we just need somebody, somewhere, some church, somewhere who's walked this out. To get up and say to the government, this is the believers. This is how we act. You know, some years back, a, a white supremacist guy went into an African-American church and he shot them up. And he was arrested and went into jail. And that was a Friday. And then by the Sunday, the, the people in that church got together and they walked in and they, they forgave him. And I remember hearing that story. It wasn't on the news too much that's not newsworthy. But that group of people who had just suffered the loss of loved ones and they walked in and they chose to forgive in the face of that kind of hatred. And I just wanted to stand up and applaud and take my hat off and say, now that's my disciples. Do you understand? All this posturing about who's right. Show me your love. And I'll point out who the disciples are. Amen. Now, some of you got silly theology and some of you got bad politics, but I love you anyway.
not my fault I'm right in everything. <laughs> this was the marker for Jesus and set his recognition for true believers. In fact, this was the major vein of Jesus' focus. When they said to him, which is the greatest commandment of the old covenant? He said, love God and love your neighbor. And then when he, he said, by the way, I'm giving you a new commandment for this new covenant. You must love one another just as like I've loved you. <laughs> love is the standard that Jesus lived by and is the metric of measurement of the kingdom. I've been holding that in for a couple of years. <laughs> the grand refocusing of the church to this truth seems important, no? This is the call to love one another. There's so many things in the New Testament that we could chase down on. There's so many things that you could have an opportunity to grow in. And grace has emancipated you from having to be white-knuckled and think that if you don't you know, master everything that's written in the New Testament, you won't make it. No, you make it because you love Jesus and he's paid for you. And so you, you're in. You're not working for favor. You're working because you have favor. But now that you have favor, now that you understand that, there's a whole bunch of things the Bible suggests. Hey, this will really, really, really help your life and it will really be the best testimony to the world. And that's it. Love one another. So can I just suggest that some of us are going to have to shake off this propensity to get into our own little uh, isolated bubble. And we're going to have to venture out into the world again and love some people and and get involved in their lives and minister to somebody and let them minister to us and just open up our hearts and our spaces around us a little bit more to some other believers so that we can just serve one another and love one another and pray for one another and forgive one another and bear with one another and everything else that the Bible says. There's a whole bunch of others, so let me get to those. There's a, there's a massive, but there's a broad category and I just want to talk to that. It's be united with one another. Love one another, be united with one another. So there's a bunch of scriptures here. Let me show you some of these. Be at peace with one another. Do not complain against one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another. Have equal concern for each other. If you keep biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed. So don't do that. Don't become conceited or provoking or envying others. If you're the guy who's always poking the bear, stop it. I preach to myself. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Forgive each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Don't lie to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another onto love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Pray for each other. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Serve one another. Clothe yourself with humility. That's not an exhaustive list. That's just a few of them. 
But you get the point. Love one another. Build unity with one another. I promise you, your Zoom portal is not accomplishing this. The call is for believers to live in unity. And it's likewise all over the New Testament. And in all the analogies of the church, whether it's the body of Christ or the bride of Christ or the building of God, the implication is that many have to come together to create this one unity. When it talks about the bride of Christ, it says made up of every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven. It's it's massive. It's millions and billions of people have to come together to form the bride. When he talks about the building of God, like living stones, there are many that are built and fitted together to form a temple in which God lives by His Spirit. When he talks about the body of Christ, he talks about many members, but these all have to work together to form one body. Peter, when he wrote his first epistle, was writing to a beleaguered group with whom he calls aliens because they were suffering persecution and struggles. And he writes to them the, the kind of nature of the, the fundamental movement of his letter is to encourage them to hang in there through persecution. And to this group of under pressure, facing hardship people, he writes and he says this. 1 Peter 1, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for one another. I'll just stop there. He says, obedience to the truth, which is deciding to walk in what you know is right, which is to love one another, he calls purifying yourselves. Now, I, I don't know about you, but a lot of gunk has gotten into our hearts and minds. It's clogged up our minds. There's so many voices and so many disparate pressures going, pushing you this way and that. And Peter says, here's a good way to wash all of that out of your mind space. Commit to what you know the Bible says to be true. Purify yourselves by obeying the truth. Because there's so many voices out there. Go, go here, do this. You, know you should be there, you shouldn't be there. Don't do that, you gotta do this. Peter says, hey, whoa, whoa. Purify yourself by obeying the truth. And loving one another. It's like a true north. Go, Greg, I'm under pressure. i got so many voices. Let me tell you the truth. The Bible says love people. That'll bring you back. Just do what is in line with love. Love one another. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth and loving one another, be about what you know to be true And in that way, you will help to purify yourself. That deliberate action in line with truth washes and realigns your mind and your spirit. You ever take a magnet and run it over a steel bar in the same direction for a while? It becomes magnetized. If you start walking in the truth, if you start doing what you know is right, and I don't feel like it. I don't mind that you feel like it. That's not about feelings. It's about me committing to doing what I know is right. And the more I walk in what is right, the more it washes and aligns my heart and my head so that the next time some voice tells me to do something that's not loving, everything inside of me goes, that's just weird. (laughs) 
do you feel like a bunch of roadside dust and grime settled on you in the last few years? Just me. Okay. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, and that, and, and so he said, this is how I know you've purified yourself and you're obeying the truth. You have a sincere love for one another. Peter said, listen, guys, you're under pressure, and there's, there's enemies around you. There's both physical enemies and there's spiritual enemies, and, and your enemy is prowling like a roaring lion. He wants to devour you, and you guys are under pressure. He goes, but I, I see something about you. You've You're on the right path. You've purified yourself because this is what I see among you. This is sincere love because I'm at peace. I got some hope in me because I can see the signs of truth among you. Sincere love is the truth that we're obeying in these times. And if we obey this truth, loving one another sincerely, we become pure before God. Peter goes on. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for one another, this is what you should do. Now that that's established, love one another deeply from the heart. Hmm. I don't know if I can, Greg. I'm not a very moody guy. I'm not very emotional. Well, you don't have to be. You just have to give yourself over to love deeply from the heart. And that's a choice, friends. And I'll just say, you can choose to love. And you have to choose to love. Because sometimes people make it hard to love. But you and I can choose. You're ugly and your mother dresses you funny, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. Because it's not dependent on how you are. It's dependent on my choice. And my choice is to obey the truth and to walk in love. Because if I walk in love, John says, then I walk in God. If you live in love, you live in God, because God is love. So let me bring this to a close. Nice and early. I think things are going to go from bad to worse for those who don't know Jesus. Because there are not too many answers outside of Jesus for this fallen world. And it's going to get darker and darker and more and more hopeless. And if Jesus doesn't intervene, I think those graphs are going to continue to go up like this. We have a fentanyl epidemic on our hands. Fentanyl has now killed more people than anything else in the drug world. Something's going on in our nation. It's not pretty. The answer... I don't think it's to be found out there. See, the people are in darkness, and deep darkness is is upon the nations. But rise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord arises on you. Yeah, I want the glory of God. So do I. You know how it works? You love one another. You love one another deeply from the heart. You commit yourself to community. You engage, you step out of the little bubble that the enemy wants to push you in, the isolated bubble. You step out of that and you engage with people and you love with an open heart. But Greg, some of them might disappoint me. I guarantee you some of them are going to disappoint you. Love anyway. Well, sometimes it's going to be inconvenient. Absolutely. Make that inconvenience an offering to the Lord. Lord, 
this, let this be a fragrance to you. Now that you have obeyed the truth and purified yourself by having a sincere love for one another, now, love one another deeply, unashamedly, unreservedly, openly. Love one another from the heart. That's what Paul kept saying to the Christians. Hey, greet one another in public with a holy kiss. I don't kiss, Paul. No, he, said, he said, make it public. That's my brother or sister. Come here. Hug on their neck. Make it open. Why? Because by this, people are going to know that you're a Christian. By this, they're going to know that you're a disciple. By this, that we love one another. But I thought it was going to be the miracles. No. The miracles are the confirmation. Love is the sign. And love is a choice that you and I can make. Can I just say, there are people in your world that God is going to use you to bless. I tell you a truth. And I'm not sure on this side of eternity you're going to see all the impact of all of that. I'm not sure this side of eternity is all going to be made plain and you're going to get all your reward. I'm not so sure about that, but I tell you what, I, I swear this to you, one day in heaven you'll stand and somebody will come and say, you did that, you gave that, you said that, you prayed that, and that made all the difference to me. And I just wanted to say, I'll be eternally grateful. Do not rob yourself of good works that have been prepared for you to do. Those good works are within the context of community. Commit yourself to community. And we can change this nation. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, would you help us and refocus, and I pray there'd not be one place in our hearts today that we don't settle this idea, Lord, that there is a trick of measurement. And that's how we loved so I pray, Lord, that you would help us, each one, to settle this one thing right now, in this moment, and at this time for our nation, that there would be love among us for the sake of your kingdom. And that, Lord, as we love one another deeply from the heart, would you make your presence and your glory more and more felt among us in profound ways. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.